You're listening to the City Light Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. If you're just joining us, last week we started a conversation called Breaking the Silence. Our very own Kelton Cox created this graphic. He was actually creating a graphic for our, um, our podcast that no one listens to, and, uh, <clears throat> and we, uh, I think Oliver listens to it, though, so that's good. Um, and then we, we, uh, we reformed it a little bit and use it for this one, how Jesus really breaks the silence. And if you're not familiar with biblical history, which dates back thousands and thousands of years, it was very typical and normal for God, Yahweh God, to speak with his creation. In fact, the whole story in the Bible starts with a God who is speaking, and God never stopped speaking, and God never gave up communicating and loving his creation. In fact, the the scriptures actually tell us over and over again that his creation continued to rebel and do their own thing and move away from him, but God consistently has pursued us. Now, there's a breaking of the silence tends to infer that there was a silence to break. Well, there is something between the Old Testament In the New Testament, there was a period called the silent years or the intertestamental period, which intertestamental means between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was about 400 plus years in history where the people of God were underneath all different kinds of rulers in the world. And during that time, God was still speaking to people, but he wasn't doing it in the way that he had for thousands of years prior and in the way that he started to do through specifically a guy named John, which we'll look at today, and then next week for Christmas Eve when we do some Christmas caroling and we do some Jesus celebrating, uh, we'll look how Jesus really breaks the silence once and for all. And so last week I talked about the various ways that God has spoken and is still speaking. We'll just put that slide up for you. I'm not going to go into teaching all of that. If you are interested in that message last week so you can catch up with us, just listen to the different podcast, the sermon podcast at City Lights on uh, iTunes. But these are the different ways that God has spoken in the past throughout the scriptures, specifically anything, that, even interesting things like trances and dreams. Uh, one of my great friends in the room this morning texted me this morning and said, I had a dream about you last night specifically regarding the church. And I was just like, man, it's just, it's just amazing that God is speaking to us that way. And dreams, actually, biblically speaking, dreams is one of the most common ways and the most frequent ways that God communicated throughout the Bible. So if you look at the biblical history and you're like, God doesn't speak in dreams, that's weird. That's probably because you have weird dreams. And you're like, I really hope these aren't from God. Listen, I have some of those dreams too. This last week I had some weird dreams and there's just no way that they are part of heaven or anything good because they were creepy and weird and you don't want to hear about them because you'd be like, man, that guy is everything I thought in the worst ways. So at times dreams are like that. And other times there are dreams that come through our sleep and it's just, it's, it's difficult to have any reason to believe other than this is from the Lord, this is from God, and he's communicating that way. So the way we approach all these different ways that God communicates is he created everything, he started everything, he's behind everything. Even science that's going out further and further and further and further than we ever even dreamt or imagined is helping us actually understand that God truly is everything he said and everything he did is really for his glory and for our good. So he's been communicating. So this was, this was normal for thousands of years for people to experience. But then there was that intertestamental period, which uh, you'll see right here. I showed this last week. But the, here's what happened during these years. All the way up the Roman era, the Roman Empire, is right around the time when Jesus came into the world. We're going to look at John, John's coming into the world and how he breaks the silence in just a moment. And this slide, is, it's not a super-duper slide. I didn't make this. I just grabbed it off line. But if you could put that image up. Mike, I'm sorry I didn't send you a better image. 
But just, just for timeline's sake, and if you're visiting here, people put up their phones and take pictures of the big screen. So if you're wondering, like, what are they doing? They're just taking notes with their cameras. But you'll see how you've got about 400 plus years because down here at 433 B.C., you're going to go from 433 B.C. to 3 B.C., and that was those times of silence. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The next book to show up is around Jesus' birth. So you've got about 400 years where God wasn't speaking the way he had spoken. And we're going to look this morning how he breaks the silence. All right, how's that for review? That's our academic review. I was talking with a good friend last night at one of the parties. She said, I want to go to your church and check it out. And I went, why? And she's like, I just, I really want to believe. And I went, really? And she goes, I want to believe that God is real, and I, I want to experience him. And, I, and she's a doctor, so I was like, well, do you want to know that academically? And she's like, I have no interest in knowing it academically. I want to feel that God is real. And I said, okay, don't come tomorrow. So <laughs> not because we're not going to feel his presence and understand him that way, but I knew that some of this is going to be historical and academic. And, and relationship with God is not opposed to information in academia and histor historical evidence. It actually, I know for me, it helps my belief. I like to feel and know and experience, but these things aren't against those things. You know, the, the mind and the heart are supposed to work in harmony in that way. So what happens in the book of Luke is we see this incredible breakthrough so the angel of the Lord shows up to a guy named Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is a priest. He's doing the spiritual religious things, really, really strict things. In fact, Justin, I thought about wearing my sweater because it has bells on it. And the priest back then would wear bells because when they would go do the holy, holy things inside of the temple, if the bells stopped ringing, that means they did something wrong and they died and they would drag that person out. So I actually thought it would be a good illustration if I had my bells on. But I'm wearing my bells next week. So be ready for the gaudy, gaudy kitten sweater with bells on it. Uh, that'll be my priestly garb for next week, not garb but garb as in attire. So the Zechariah is a priest. He's somebody that's the go-between between God and man. He's a, a mediator, and he's doing the spiritual things to help people understand how they can be in good relationship with God. And I'll tell you what, prior to uh, this point in history, it would be tough to be one of God's people, at least the way we interpreted it. Because God was saying to people, hey, these are the things that you're doing that are causing you to have pain in your life, so don't do them. And People tended to look at those things and say, God is, is very uh, law-oriented. He's just saying, don't do this and do this. Instead of, of understanding that he said, hey, are you hurt? Is it hurting? Is life difficult? And people are like, yes! And he's like, and they said, he's like, well, do this and don't do that. The scriptures call it his commands or his statutes or his laws, which simply was God's perspective. And history tends to look at those things and say, God is a God of law and he's a God of rules. When God was saying, hey, does that hurt you? Is that broken? Does it feel good when somebody murders? Does it feel good when somebody is looking at your spouse and wants to have sex with them? And you're like, no, God, it's no great. And he's like, well, don't commit adultery. You're like, how dare you say don't commit adultery? We tend to take the laws of God and make it about that rather than seeing the heart of God that says, I want you to have so much joy and fullness. And so here are some guideposts to stay within so that you don't end in total misery. Well, God decided to speak through people like priests and they would be the go-between helping people understand the relationship with God. And when Jesus comes, which we'll look at next week, he breaks down all the expectations and all the laws that we would have to adhere to in order to walk in this flawless, flawless moral and morality and behavior with God. And through Jesus Christ, grace comes where he comes and says, hey, I, I loved you before you were alive. I love you now and I'll love you for eternity. And I'm gonna give you my love by grace before you even want it. And even after you don't want it because you're rebellious or whatever else, I'm gonna stick with you. And that's a lot of what this passage is about today. So ultimately, we're looking at a time and a period where the law was really how people tried to measure and gauge their relationship with him. That's one of the reasons we exalt Jesus here. 
It's one of the reasons we make a big deal about Jesus here because he changed everything for us. That we truly are made right with God and kept right with God in a pure relationship, reconciled through the work of God, not our own. It's such, such good news. Well, in, in Luke's account, it happens in verse 11, chapter 1, that God breaks the silence through an angelic appearance. Chapter 1, verse 11 in Luke says this, And there appeared to him, Zechariah, the, the guy who's the priest at that time, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So they would burn fragrance and incense. We don't have our incense today, but they'd burn incense as a fragrance unto the Lord. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. Troubled is not like, ooh, shoot, I'm in trouble. There's an angel. Troubled is like, oh, oh my goodness. What's, I mean, it's just, a, just an awe-inspiring moment. The, it said that when Jesus was walking on the water, his disciples were troubled in that moment. Not like, oh, snap, we must be in big trouble because Jesus came out to give us a spanking and he's walking on water. We did something bad. It's not trouble like that. It's trouble like, oh, my goodness. Oh, this is amazing. It's, it's not the way we would think of trouble in that way. So Zechariah was in this moment where the angel appeared. In verse 13, the angel says to him, don't be afraid. You don't have to be troubled, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this guy's birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink strong wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, even while he's in Elizabeth's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Ultimately, this angel breaks the silence and says, there's a baby that's going to be born and he's going to be the voice. He's going to literally break the silence. So the angel actually breaks the silence of the 400 years in this moment. And the angel is bringing a prophecy saying, you're going to get prego. Now, you guys know about how reproductive organs work, and, and that's the first thing that comes to the mind for Zechariah. In verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? Like, how do I know this is true? How is this going to happen? And then his first rational thought is, I'm so old, and my wife is well advanced in years. That's a nice way to say, my wife can't have babies anymore. She went through menopause a long time ago. It's a nice way to say, she's advanced in years. Like, I have an advanced degree. So if you're older, just say, I'm well advanced in this life. You have a, a life achievement award. But ultimately what he's saying is, not only can she not have a baby because she's not menstruating anymore, I can't produce a baby even if she was. Like, we are advanced in years. That's a real nice way to say it from now on. These are my friends that are advanced in years. And the angel answered Zechariah and said, well, my name's Gabriel, by the way, and who stands in the presence of God? I was sent to speak to you and bring these good news to you. So he's basically like, hey, I was bringing good news to you, and you just made this about your loins and the dustiness here. Like, you know, I, I, I was trying to bring good news. You turned it into some of your, well, you turned it into your impotence in that way. And so he says, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So this is, this is a little bit comical. Maybe comical is not the right word, but check this out. It's been 400 years. God breaks the silence through this angel named Gabriel. And he says, here's a prophecy. Your son that's going to be in your wife's womb that you think is no longer able to bear a child is literally going to be the breaking of silence on earth through a human that is preparing the way of all the people so that when 
Jesus is born, which Gabriel's about to go over to Mary's house and basically do the same thing, but Jesus has a little more detail of what his life's gonna be about. We'll look at that next week. But he, he looks at him and says, he's breaking the silence, so he breaks that silence, and Zechariah responds, and he's about, he should be able to go like, okay, I'm gonna prepare the way. But because of his lack of belief, because of his lack of faith, and his focus on the impossible, the angel says, all right, you've got a 40-week timeout where you're not gonna talk. So it's comical. God's like, in his wisdom, he's like, I'm gonna break the silence now. And he breaks the silence by saying, no more talking. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, God, like, but what's amazing about that is that would literally be like me coming up here and for the next 40 weeks, I just stand up here and I have a little chalkboard. My sermons might be better. And I just write a word or two at a time because I can't literally make any audible noise. So when Zechariah comes out of the temple, he's supposed to forgive people of their sins and give them absolution and give them hope. Instead, he comes out and he's like, and people are like, why aren't you speaking? What happened? What's going on? And when John is born, we see in this passage, when John is born, uh, they, they ask, like, what's his name? And his mom says, his name is John. And the whole, everyone's like, John? You don't even have a John in your family. Why'd you name him John? And John's a totally fine name. But the, the angel said his name would be John. And so at that point, finally, the, the voice of Zechariah comes back and he says, yes, his name is going to be John. This was prophesied by an angel and this is what's going to take place. And so at that point, the birth of John literally is breaking the silence. And really, you could sum up John the baptizer's life with this incredible birth statement where the silence is broken. But then all we have really of John's life is he's born. And then he goes out to this wilderness season where literally goes out to the wilderness. If you've ever been to Israel and you've seen the Jordan and you see where he was, it's literally just like an arid desert with a few trees. He just goes out there for 30 years and he just eats bugs and he, he kills animals and wears those as his garments. I mean, he literally sounds a lot like Freddie Biggers in our church. I mean, he literally is just out there doing his thing. And so after 30 years, he comes back on the scene and he breaks the silence and fulfills the prophecy said that there will be one that's born who will come in a line like Elijah, who is an Old Testament prophet, and he will prepare the way for the Lord. And so literally you have a bookend of his birth and his baptism talk, and then basically his ministry ends. And as a side note, you know, if, you're, if you've been in the church a lot, you've heard people, maybe Jesus, uh, John says, he sees Jesus coming and he goes, hey, I must decrease, he must increase. And, it's, and a lot of times in our culture, it's been taken the wrong way, like, Oh, if people are making a big deal of me, it's a real problem. I, I need to decrease so that the Lord could increase. What John meant was, I've been getting ready for the real show. And so, okay, as Jesus comes, the son of God, I've done my part. I prepared the way for him. So as his ministry increases, my preparation ministry is decreasing. And he eventually finds himself imprisoned. And because of a, an, a statement that he makes to the rulers, there's a party going on and a woman seduces the, the, the guy who's in charge. And he's like, girl, you are so good looking. And he really does. Girl, you're so good looking. And I want to have all kinds of relations with you. How can I impress you enough to make that happen? And she said, why don't you cut off the head of that guy, the baptizer, and bring it up to me on a platter. And then you can have me tonight. That's how his life ends. It's a doozer. Now, you have this incredible breaking of the silence. You have the baptism and he gets out of the way so that Jesus can have his way. It's stunning. I don't need to get into more detail, but that's a lot of background. So what's happening with all the situation? God is a God who seems to be silent. Then he breaks the silence, but he talks about breaking the silence by having Zechariah be silent, which in some ways, you guys know I'm a talker. If I didn't talk for the next 40 weeks, I think a lot of us, whether, some of you are like, man, that was really nice when you weren't talking as much. And other people would go like, but I am curious about your perspective on this or, or this or, or that. And, 
and I would just write it on my little chalkboard one word at a time. But sometimes the silence of God can be really misunderstood in our lives, and I really believe that's what we're supposed to try to understand here today, that God has a purpose in silence. And and the first point I want to make, and I'm really just going to make two points this morning. The first point is simply this. Just because there's a, a wilderness season of silence or a season of silence in your life doesn't mean that God's not working. Oftentimes it can feel that way. Just because there's a a season of silence where God isn't apparently speaking in the way that you're listening, by the way. Remember, the history of God is he speaks in visions and dreams and trances and through angels and through scriptures and through people. I mean, all these different things, even through different languages. In In 2017, I tried to listen to things that sounded like murmur to me, like blah, blah, blah. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. But I didn't know what these words were in my prayer time, and I would write them down, and then I would go on online and look, and they ended up being other languages all over the world, sentences that actually made perfect sense when I put all those noises together. God's speaking, but if we're only listening in English and we're waiting to hear in a very specific way, we need to widen our listen. And I think if we widen our listen, this is just like a friendly comment, I'd call it shepherdingly or pastorally. If we widen our listen, I think we're gonna hear that God is speaking all the time, but we're just, you know, it's kind of like a radio. We're, we're on the wrong station, not listening in the right way. And it's not about manipulation, like, oh, I must be on the wrong station. I got to listen to every station. But it's just being still and knowing that he's speaking and stepping into that. You know, when I used to work in a, a bindery, like a printing factory, and I worked in the bindery. My dad was the vice president, so I started working there when I was 10, which people used to come in and go, oh, I guess this company doesn't care about child labor laws. And they would say it to me. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I would keep working, which I didn't understand until later. I was too young to be working in a factory. Like, that's actually part of my history. I worked in a factory. It sounds worse than it was. It was awesome. But when I would work in the factory, it would be so loud, all these printing presses and folding machines going on. But right around 12 o'clock, the whole place went quiet. Nothing was going on. And you could think, hey, why aren't people working? But at that time, if you went around the, the business or you went outside or you went to the cafeteria, you'd see that people are doing just a different thing. It wasn't that they weren't working. It wasn't that they weren't active. It wasn't that they weren't participating. It was just that they were doing something else. And in that way, they were being nourished. They were resting and recalibrating to get back. And so if I said, hey, is this company functional between 12 and 1230, I'd go in there and go, nothing's active. There's nothing going on. No one's doing any work. People are lazy, but I was just re, I I was misinterpreting, you and I were misinterpreting silence in that way to think that nothing's going on. That's just a really practical way to understand silence or something where you're not getting or thinking or thinking that something should be happening a certain way doesn't mean that work or something productive is not happening on God's side of things. So if silence really is a, an intentional pathway or an intentional form of communication with God, why does he choose silence as a way of communication? And I want to make clear, God's not giving you the silent treatment, as in some bitter, power play, manipulative, like, you did something bad, so I'm going to give you a a silent treatment. And if you've been listening, you go, isn't that exactly what he did to Zechariah? Well, what ends up happening with Zechariah? After 40 weeks, He's able to lead the way with faith and authority and confidence. Something happened in his, quote, time out that actually profited him. If you're raising children, uh, especially if you do foster care, you're not allowed to touch or spank or pinch your foster child. You have to figure out other ways of helping them realize the repercussions of their decisions. 
timeout is the way you have to do it. And so our first, child, first foster child, I remember, um, after night three, he and I stayed up the entire night staring at the wall together, literally putting, I mean, it was, was kind of like the meanest I've ever been, where I was like, you have to stand and look at the wall because he was just misbehaving throughout the whole night. Timeout was the only thing. Now, I didn't want him to be in timeout. I didn't want him to be punished. I wanted him to realize that if you don't obey, it's not gonna work well for you. Not for me, I wanted to raise this little boy up to be a man who understood authority and boundaries and respect. So timeout has a purpose. The hardest person to do that with in my family right now is our little nine-year-old daughter. I almost feel like she looks forward to being punished. And it's, it's I think, a confusing way that she's trying to get attention. And she wants to know that she has attention. So even negative attention for her is positive. But I don't want her to be in trouble. I don't want her to have timeout. I want her to realize something in that time where she has to be quiet and where she has to sit. I don't only want her to think about me, but I want her to think about her. Does that make sense? And God's the same way. I think God has a sundry of ways, varied ways. I think he has probably a thousand different things he's wanting for us to understand in moments that we would call silent. The reality is, I think that when we look at these passages for Zechariah and then for John, who disappears off the site of, of the busyness of life for 30 years, there's something happening in that place. And one of the things I think happens is God uses silence to help you hear yourself think and speak. And this, this is frankly, this is kind of new to me because I've consistently understood that in history, in my own experience, that God has used times where I feel like he's silent, where I feel like he's leading me and helping me understand things in a different way. And I'm like, God, it does feel like silence. I agree. It feels different. It feels like there's a gap, an absence. And I used to think it's just because he's wanting me to, in a, uh, in a proximity way, but metaphorically move closer. It, it would be like if somebody was over here and I couldn't hear them and they couldn't change their volume, you'd get closer and closer and closer. So I've heard people say, God's silent because he wants you to draw close to him. Now, that's not bad. It's not great theology, I'd say. It's not super duper true uh, and accurate biblically. It's, it, it sounds right experientially, and that's okay. But ultimately, God is, is not bound by space. It's not like he needs you to get, quote, closer to him or him closer to you. Just like John, the Holy Spirit was in John before John ever said, Holy Spirit, I want you. And I believe that's how God still works. So God doesn't have a proximity issue. God doesn't have a voice issue. God doesn't have a wisdom issue. So if there's silence and God is kind and good, it's his kindness to use that mode of communication. You know, silence is a form of communication. Don't think of it in a manipulative way. Most times in our culture, we give people the silent treatment. It's also known as passive aggressiveness, and that is not good. But God here, I believe, in part, is using silence to help people hear themselves think and speak. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, Moses, if you remember Moses in the Old Testament, Moses has this prophecy spoken over his life that says, you will literally be the deliverer of the people of God. The people of God are enslaved underneath other rulers for 400 years. And at 40 years old, Moses believes, that's who I am. I'm in my prime. I'm going to step into my destiny. And as he steps into his destiny, he, he demonstrates and manifests his prophetic dreams and everything that had been given to him by killing somebody. <laughs> and then it ends up that the next day, he's, you know, he's stepping out and doing this authority thing that it ends up so bad for him that he misused underestimated the time, didn't do the right thing at the right time, and he actually departs from Egypt and goes to this place called Midian and is alone in a time of silence for 40 years. God used that 40 years of silence 
and he broke the silence with one of the communications, a flame on a bush that wasn't burning it, and God speaks. Actually, the presence of God speaks. It's different than an angel appearance because God actually says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Like, this is me speaking. And when he goes to Moses, he says, hey, Moses, do you remember how you're supposed to have great destiny and deliver people for me? And Moses is like, yeah. And he goes, it's time. And he goes, whoa, find somebody else. That's not me. Do you realize after 40 years, Moses is still remembering his past, but he's defined negatively by his past. And in this moment, God's helping him hear his own thoughts. God's helping him see his own perspective. So much so that God is cooperative and kind with him and says, no, for such a time, like this is the moment where you'll step up and do the things I had for you to do. You, you launched early last time. It's taken you 40 years. And if you see something different from when he was 40, he's like, we can do this, let's go. 40 years later, he's like, I can't do this without you. And you hear incredible statements like, this is where God says, tell them that I am sent you. Do you realize that not only is Moses understanding himself and his limits because he says, I can't do this alone. He focuses on his weaknesses and God actually provides a partner named Aaron to do this with him. After 40 years, Moses understands his own limitations, but he respects God and God understands Moses' limitations and gives him a friend to go through this journey with him. Do you realize what I'm trying to help you understand and myself understand? That Moses had 40 years of not fulfilling and doing the thing that he believed God had called him and built him to do. 40 years, he was ready. 40 years, he was getting further and further from being ready. But at this point, he understands who he is. He understands how he thinks. God reorients him and sends him to do great things for him. I see that's what's happening with John. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't launch his public ministry until he's 30 years old as well? You could absolutely make an argument in the book of Hebrews that Jesus had to suffer and endure a whole lot of things for 30 years to become adequate to be our savior. And I'll just say that again, because it's actually the original language of the book of Hebrews is in Greek, and the actual word is adequate, and it means to, or it's fitting, and it means to become an adequate person to represent us before God. He had to suffer and go through wilderness seasons. In fact, Jesus, right after he gets baptized, which we're, you know, that's the scene we're in by John, that's what John does. He baptizes Jesus, and then his ministry just goes down until he gets his head cut off on a platter. I mean, that's really what ends up happening for him. Talk about a decrease in ministry. How about that for saying, hey, are you effective in your ministry? Like, yeah, ever since no one's really following me, and now I'm in jail, and I'm going to get my head cut off tomorrow. I am a success. But in, in, in the biblical history, John did the part he was supposed to do. Sometimes we misunderstand how God's going to use us in that way. But in this situation, Jesus is actually doing things that are very similar to you and me. He has, after his baptism, he goes out for 40 days and 40 nights, doesn't eat food, doesn't drink liquids, and he's tempted over and over and over again by the spiritual enemy over and over and over again. Have you ever felt like that? Like there's no God in sight, there's no community in sight, and you're just under attack? One of the reasons that happened for Jesus is so that he can be with you right now and go, I get it, I know, I've been there, and I'm with you. So I would say it is a normal pattern if you're a person in the family of God that there are seasons of wilderness silence, but it doesn't mean God's not working at all. It doesn't mean God's not working. If you ever do listen to the Equipping Podcast, and I'm joking, there are lots of people that listen to it, but the Equipping Podcast, it's meant to help you understand who God is and where you're at in life and help you take a next step with him. But Oliver and I oftentimes try to say a myth about the topic, and we try to pull out a truth about the topic that we're talking about. So here's a myth and a truth. 
for our, our conversation right now. A myth is in a silent season, God is wanting me to fill in that space with speaking. It's sort of like, well, hey, if he's not gonna speak up, I will. And oftentimes, uh, unless, I mean, if God's telling you to do that, that's wonderful. But in a time of silence, it should be a time where we learn to listen and ask questions and widen our reception of who God is. It's not a time for us to get louder. The truth is in a silent season, God is both speaking to you and preparing you to speak. I mean, this is a really interesting sermon and message because I I genuinely see that we are gifted with seasons of silence and wilderness seasons where we don't feel like, and by the way, a wilderness season is, and a lot of you are in this place. A wilderness season for you might be underemployment or unemployment. A wilderness season for some of you might be single, but you might be single and not married for the rest of your life. So don't try to manipulate the wilderness season to get married. Be in that season, just like all of us have to be where we are in the present. And any of us can be tempted by the past and it's haunting telling us about this moment, or we can be overly optimistic or underly optimistic and hopeful about the future, and it robs right now. And God is in the moment with us. He's in the present tense with us. So if God isn't speaking, and when God isn't speaking in, a, in the way that we think and he's working, well, then, then ultimately the, the next point I want to make is just simply this, that the silent wilderness season is not intended to be a wasted season. So if it is a way that God's speaking, and it is something he's working through, then how can, in a sense, how can we make the most of this situation? Well, in this situation, John, at this point in history, when he goes to do the baptism in John, uh, I'm sorry, in Luke, in Luke chapter 3, he fulfills the prophecy of, uh, I believe it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. This is what Malachi, remember, 433 B.C. Now we're at like, th- we're at like 33 or 30 B.C. Uh, A.D. after, and, and this is something that John ends up saying when he's in the water doing baptism. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is Yahweh God saying, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way in front of me. And then Isaiah Isaiah chapter 40, verses three and five, John actually says this exact verse when he's in the water. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain will be made low. And even the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places will become a plain and flattened. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John literally gets in the baptizing waters and makes this announcement. And, and what we see in the scriptures, Jesus literally walks up right after he makes a statement and does a baptism, which by the way, when Jesus is baptized, the silence is broken where we, they literally hear the voice of God the Father. And they literally see the Holy Spirit descend. Literally, somehow in a, a visible way, they saw the Holy Spirit land on Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian moment right there in their sight. That's where we're going to get to next week, plus Christmas songs. So we've got this incredible breaking of the silence right there, and that is the most significant one because God the Father's voice is breaking through that silence in a way that is absolutely breathtaking. I was joking by myself uh, this morning. I was thinking, and I think this for myself, sometimes God brings me into a silent season of wilderness to give people a break from me. (laughs) I literally was thinking about that. You know, sometimes you think like, why am I in this wilderness? Why is it so quiet? And where's community? And I just, I was trying to humble my heart before the Lord. And he said, well, sometimes Chris, people are just annoyed by you and I'm getting you away from them for a while. And I, I do think that 
the wisdom of God is unique in that way, and sometimes he teaches us things even about ourselves in those places that we need to hear. But ultimately, I mentioned Dallas Willard last week, and I'm really encouraged when I mention different authors, and we talk about different things, that you guys go and buy those books. And I was really grateful for Lonnie giving me some feedback, and she started to listen to Dallas Willard's messages and get his books. And this is something that Dallas Willard describes really, really well about silence and communication. Listen to this quote. In the progress of God's redemptive work, so God is about bringing all things back to him, and he is in the book of Revelation, it says he'll make all things new, not all new things, but all things that have ever been made will, will find their intended purpose and good and glory in Jesus' redemptive work. Communication, in God's plan, communication advances into communion. And communion advances into union. And our union with God provides the appropriate context for communication with God. And I do think this is what people have meant when they said God's silent so that you draw near to him in a proximity way. But the danger of that that statement is that you might think that you're distant from God. I've heard that in, our, in the South. People are like, you need to go get right with God as though he's in the other room and you've got to go work your way back in. It's, that's a really, frankly, there's either heaven statements or hellish statements. So that is a, literally a statement from hell. It's, it's really destructive to think that way. But what Dallas Willard says is really good. And I, I think this is part of the reason for some silence is God wants to have communication with us, but sometimes we would just rather say, hey, just tell me, just communicate with me. But God doesn't want to just have a tell-me-what-to-do relationship with you. He wants to actually have a communion with you where you're close. And then the closeness is so much so that there is literally a union. In fact, John, his best friend, one of his best friends, not this guy, but another guy named John who writes the letter about, or the, the gospel account of John, uh, of Jesus' life, he says that, he records Jesus saying, Father, as you and I are union, as you and I are one, may they be one like we are one, and as we are one, and I'm in you and you are in me, let's be in them, that they might be perfectly one as a church as we are perfectly one, Father, Son, Spirit. The goal is not just to improve your communication. When I, when I do premarital counseling or post-ceremony counseling or reconciliation counseling, the goal is not just to learn to communicate. The, learning, the goal is to communicate what the distance is about so that you can move back into a place of communion and then you can actually live into your union. That's the point of it. And I do believe that God uses times of silence to help you discover things. Part of that discovery, which I'm going to just say three things and then we'll be done this morning, but part of that discovery is so that you actually can hear your own thoughts. I mean, do you realize Zachariah's last words were like, how is this going to work? Like, I'm, I'm old and dusty and so is my girl. Like, this is crazy. And he's like, I'm going to give you 40 weeks to think about that. That's significant. And it's kind. And it primes and ready Zachariah that when he opens his mouth, everybody's like, ooh, what's he going to say? That's one of the beautiful things about people. You know, Abraham Lincoln has said that in the, in the past. He's pretty famous for this quote that it's better to be silent and be thought of as a fool rather than to speak and remove all doubt that you actually are a fool. <laughs> and that's actually a proverb. Proverbs 17 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. I don't know, you know, I will say this. Some of you who are more quiet and reserved all of us really think you have lots of smart things going on in there. So just keep that silent thing going. Uh, it's those of us who process out loud that sometimes get it well, and other times are like, man, you lost me. Like, yeah, sorry about that. And like, you're foolish. Like, yeah, I know, I'm just proving that. The, the reality is that, that the beauty of silence, if we're listening well with God, that it actually primes a moment for a good, truthful statement to come out of our mouths. 
Seasons of silence are meant for looking backward, and I believe this in the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. Seasons of silence are for looking backward to remember what God said, and they're also a, a moment for us to propel forward to, to partner with God so that we might be actually speaking the words that he wants to say now. I mean, God has a mouthpiece, and it's, it's you guys. God has hands, and they're yours. That's why we're trying to design and develop a property that is uncompromising for our worship and our time to think about God and love him, but it's also uncompromising to bring things to the city that express the glory of God with art and entertainment and food and, and all these amazing things so that people go, the, the greatest expressions of creativity and love and understanding and kindness happen at that place. That's the beauty is that God wants to communicate those things, and sometimes we have to be silent enough to hear that. So could it be that a wilderness season is actually the way God turns down all of our voices so you can clearly hear his and discover yours. That's, I mean, I was an athlete. That's, uh, that's what my coaches would do. Plenty of times when I would have an opinion about something, they'd say, be quiet and just do what I say. <laughs> just, just stick in that. I've had great mentors for my, one of my, uh, I had an incredible, my undergraduate, I got, part of my degree was in um, art. And, and he was one of the best mentors I've ever had. He didn't talk a lot, but he would give me instruction, then he would send me off, and my, my, my life and my art would be the response. He wasn't interested in having conversation. God uses those things. And ultimately, maybe we're just saying, like, God, I want to hear you, I want to hear you. And maybe the silence is saying, like, I actually want you to hear you, your thoughts, your opinions, your bitter heart, your pity party. I want you to, not in a mean way, but just saying, you know, it's, it's like, you don't even look in the mirror and see your own face. And he's saying, this is a time where I want you to look deep into your heart and your face, and I'm right here with you. Sometimes we're just not listening big enough and wide enough. So in closing, God uses wilderness seasons of silence, and he's breaking the silence through using seasons of silence. And he does these three things. The first one is just really simple and kind of funny to make us more like him, like, mm, I'm gonna go into that wilderness season so I can come back and be you know, bold for him. Well, actually, sometimes when we realize in the silence and the time where there's not a whole lot going on, that it's good just to be peaceful and rest. Some of you who are doers, this is really an offensive point because you'll feel like times of rest and silence and unproductivity is actually unproductive. You know that Sabbath, that we're gonna do in two weeks on a Sunday, Sabbath is not about not doing something. It's not producing. It's actually engaging in, in and enjoying the things that God has given to you rather than stressing out or thinking or worrying about things that need to happen. So sometimes there's a silent season so that we can actually become and understand what it looks like to be okay with everything not together and just being still. The second thing it does is it makes us more aware of ourselves. I see this with Moses. I see this with David. We see it with actually Jesus himself. He became adequate through his suffering, through his wilderness seasons. So why would we be surprised by a time of silence or a wilderness that we're going through? And I know that some of you are either in one of those seasons or you're just coming out of one of those seasons or you've never been in one of those seasons, but I just want to say with authority, biblical authority, that that is one of the ways that God loves us and leads us to better see ourselves to better hear ourselves, that we might be entrusted to, which is point three, to be prepared to speak in partnership with him. God has designed us to be partners. He got everything started in Genesis 1, and he said, here it is. Be fruitful and multiply and bring this multiplication all over the world. Meaning, 
everything is very good, bring that very goodness all over the world. That's why Swamp Rabbit Crossing, we want to drop a dot right there of very goodness to spread to every house, every person, every school, government, and recreation, and homeless. I mean, it's, it's to do the things of God right here on earth and not just hope and wait for those things later. I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, you feel like God's been silent, you feel like you're wanting to break the silence, I urge you to wait on him. He is working. I promise you, God is working on your behalf. He is working for you. In fact, I'm just going to read this last line, and I want to invite you to stand. Uh, In church tradition, this is just called the benediction. We're closing with this. And I was thinking about how to end this message, and it's it's a practical message, and it's a simple message. But ultimately, this is, a, this is a commissioning message to say, hey, you know, when Stephen Lewis earlier talked about don't be conformed to the world, the world says, be busy, work harder, put in more hours, save up this so you can get to this moment. The scriptures say, just live in the moment. And the peace of God protects your heart and mind. So I just, all this is, by the way, um, my mind, you know, one of the benefits of reading scriptures for years and years and then eventually decades and decades is a lot of that stays in your mind. And so as I was pushing myself away from my desk this morning. I was like, what, God, what do you want to say to the people? And these scriptures just started coming to my mind. And then I just started to just put them on, on the pro presenter and just put them on the pro presenter. And then I stepped back and went, oh, that's how to send people out, to remember the history of God and to, for these people to live into, in the present tense, these past tense works of God are a gift to you in the present moment. So if it helps you to be a visual learner, then keep your eyes open and look at those. If you're more of just an audible and, and it helps you to close your eyes, I'm just going to read these slowly to you, and then I'm just going to say, you're sent in Jesus' name, and we're done this morning. Be still with the Lord and wait patiently with him. Be quick to hear and be slow to speak. My friend, do not grow tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Just don't give up. The Lord who goes before us, the Lord who goes before you, he will be with us and he is with you. He will not leave you, he will not leave us, and he will not forsake you and he will not forsake us, his church. The Lord is fighting for us. (laughs) You only have to be still and silent. So be still and know that he is God, your God. Go in the peace of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We'll see you soon. Love you guys. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.